When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, you take for granted, really, that you guys watching can all see what I'm seeing. I don't really have that much more than you. I might have a timing screen, but you guys could get a timing screen up as well. So in F1 for the BBC, I do get all the screens and all the information, and there's more information available to you. But you've got to convey that in an easily understandable way and paint the picture that you're seeing in the minds of your audience who are listening. Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's another Sunday without a race, but it is the last Sunday without a race because we're going to be back in Belgium next week. So we have another guest on the show to talk to this guest with me. We have Abby. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Ollie. I'm looking forward to today's show because I have met this guest in person and he's really enjoyable to talk to, so I'm interested to hear what he has to say. I do always, always wonder when we do this because if people have clicked on the show they would have seen who the guest is on the title so we build it up a lot and I'm not sure if there's any point doing it but Sam keep it going how are you I'm good thank you yeah yeah no all good looking forward to Spa uh, and the triple header and also speaking to to our guest who is one of the only people I've ever slid into their DMs on Twitter oh my uh, god so did you just say that I did just say oh. that um, and I'm, now I'm embarrassed, and now now I wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> I didn't realise Sam was 16, but anyway. Um, and James is with us. How are you, James? I'm really good, thanks. Yeah, and to be honest with you, Sam, um, if I tried to get away with saying that sentence, it'd be even worse. So honestly, don't worry about it, mate. <laughs> to clarify, it was to like introduce myself in a professional capacity and ask them to come on the podcast. Like, I think that context is maybe important. And I think it's time to move on to our special guest, Harry Benjamin. How are you today? I'm very well, guys. Thanks so much for uh, for having me on. Uh, I feel honoured, and uh, thanks for sliding into the DMs. <laughs> We've got to stop this. We've got to stop it. Um, but, Harry, for people who don't know who you are, they may recognise your voice. What is it you do? Tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, well, my name's Harry, uh, and I uh, am a presenter and a commentator. Um, you might know me from doing Formula 3. Uh, this year, my first year doing uh, Formula 3, uh, I've done the Porsche Super Cup as well. This is my second season doing the Porsche Super Cup. Uh, I've covered some F2 races too, and I've also done uh, some F1 for BBC Five Live uh, and lots of stuff uh, outside of motorsport as well. Um, all sorts of various random things and voiceovers and all this kind of stuff. So uh, a jobbing broadcaster, as they say. I think I've just got a, my my first question. It has to be this. I saw someone say it earlier, so sorry, I'm going to give credit to you eventually. But Paul's Super Cup, 
F3, F2, F1. That's a lot of names to remember, especially sort of the Porsche and F3. How? What's your procedure for making sure you don't mess up anyone's name? Uh, well, I have them all written out in front of me, so that always helps. Um, but, yeah, I mean... You just once you've done one race, you you just become uh, it just becomes a little bit like clockwork. Obviously, I do a lot of preparation and build up, and you know your life kind of. I feel like I'm probably one of the few people outside of Porsche that knows the inside and out of all the Porsche Super Cup drivers, all thirty four of them, however many there are. They chop and change each race, um, but it, it, and similar with Formula Three, you know, there's thirty drivers in that. You know, there's lots of cha- changes of driver that come and go. Uh, but I've done, you know, support uh, other support categories before this, and you know, drivers come through the field like uh, Zenek Shovenek, who everyone always screams at me for telling his name wrong. But you know, I re- I knew him because I'd done a Euro Formula race when he came into Formula Three. So um, you know, you just the the longer you're, the more experience you gain, the easier it gets, really. But you know, sometimes you, you do fluff it up a bit. You know, if the cars are the same color, you know, it's quite difficult. There's about six or nine black and white Formula 3 cars, so that's really helpful. But Porsche is easy because they have their name written on the windscreen in really big letters. So uh, that's a that's a nice, that's a commentator's dream. Yeah, I noticed that actually with GB3, they have the driver's surname on the back of the, the rear wing as well, which always kind of, I guess, helps the drivers. Um, but yeah, obviously, Harry, you said that this year is your first year doing F3. How have you found it? Like, you know, have you watched much F3 before? Obviously, you're clearly into motorsport. What, what have your you know, biggest learnings been so far? Yeah, I mean, I've watched, uh, well, GP3 for, for quite a few years uh, and GP2, what it was before then and when, you know, Will Buxton was doing the commentary. Um, and I first, because I first got into Formula One when I was probably about 17 years old and I'm 25 now. Uh, so, you know, been enjoying it for a few years and then Formula One led me to... GP2, GP3, uh, and then World Endurance and DTM and, you know, a whole world of motorsport, basically. So I, I, I'm, I'm a motorsport fan, first off, really. Um, I, I mean, I was very, very nervous uh, to get the call up. Bahrain, the first round, was really difficult. Um, not difficult. It was just I was on my own uh, for the whole time. And, you know, it's not just the races. It's Friday practice. It's qualifying um and practice arguably is the hardest thing when you're on your own because you know it's 45 minutes or whatever it is uh of you chatting to yourself or or or, or obviously to the people watching but you've got no one to bounce off of which can be a little bit uh difficult at times um and then especially in the race with like formula three when you got you know bahrain 30 cars all pounding down to turn one um you know it's difficult to pick out who's who at the best of times, yet alone when they're all in the same space of track. Um, and when you're on your own, you know, you could only watch a certain part of it. So what you'd normally do if you were, if there were two of you is I would obviously take the start and I'd, I'd be looking, I wouldn't even try and look at what's going on at the back of the grid. I would be focusing on what's happening at the front and then anything else that might catch the corner of my eye. And then, and then of course, then the replays happen and then the co-coms who hopefully would have been looking at what's happening in the mid pack and towards the back will be able to fill fill us in on, on what I would have missed. Um, so you build that partnership there. So that was the challenge to begin with, but 
that was the only one I've been on my own for since then. I've had uh, Alex Brundle and uh, Jordan King, who both obviously raced at that level before and higher, um, and are both uh, really nice guys to work with and, and know their stuff too. So it's nice to be able to chat with them and just ask some questions that I genuinely don't know the answers to, um, and they can inform the audience and, and me. Uh, so yeah, but I think the biggest challenge is just um, it's just probably just keeping on top of what's happening because sometimes formula three, I feel like they, they either go hard or they go home. There's either everything mm. happening or not happening. <laughs> and if everything happens, it all happens at the same time. Uh, like, like Imola, you know, it was a great race in Imola. Um, but then it all happened on the final corner and the final, on the final lap. Um, so with Gregoire Saucy being spun around and Oliver Behrman crashing into him and spinning around. And then just before it was, uh, um, uh, the, the boy from Barbados, uh, Zane spun Maloney. around Zane Maloney, uh, spinning around from the safety car restart. So, you know, and then, and then it all happens and suddenly the race is over and you're like, Oh, we're done. Okay. okay. I don't know how we got here, but we did. So it's just keeping up, I think, cause formula fees, you know, mental. <laughs> and and uh, for me, that's the beauty of it. It's just that. You never know what you're going to get, and especially with Bahrain, it was your favorite. One of your favorite stats you've mentioned this season is that over half the field are rookies. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, and so it's a lot of you know that first race into turn one. Yeah, so you you never quite know you know who's going to come out of it uh, in one piece. But yeah, I mean, uh, for me, that's what I love about F three. So I get totally get what you're saying, and I think from a viewer's kind of standpoint, we don't experience it the same as a commentator like i have trouble trying to keep up with which drivers where who's who and all of that but there are five drivers who are kind of prominent in the championship obviously victor martins is leading the championship but he's equal on points with isaac hadjar and then we have the three prima drivers rounding out the top five i'm interested which driver do you think will secure the title in the final three races do you think victor has it in the bag or could crawford sneak up there i think there's only 24 points separating first and fifth so i i could not tell you i think i don't know what the exact stat is but i'm sure that you know uh Half of the races that have happened so far, the lead, the leader of the championship has been tied on points. It, you know, whether it was Victor Martins and Arthur Leclerc, and now it's Hadjar and Martins. Obviously, Victor Martins, I think he needs to win it because he is the oldest returning driver. He needs to do that and he needs to progress. Uh, he can't really afford another year in Formula Three. But Isaac Hadjar has come onto the scene and has just absolutely nailed it and set the world alight. And he's not. He's not only winning, he's consistent as well. You know, there's a couple of times where, you know, there's been a non-score, but it's out of his hands half the time uh, due to reliability or incident. Um, but, you know, and then you look at Arthur Leclerc and somebody with a lot of pressure on on him purely for his last name, who, not just him, but Prema took a while to come alive, uh, really. Everyone expects him to dominate, uh, as, they, as they have done. But, you know, not getting their first win until Silverstone was a bit of a, a, a shock, really. But that seems to have unlocked something now. And then Crawford won and, and, and Behrman is probably due a win any day now. Uh, should have had a win, arguably, in the first race, to be fair. But um, that's, that's the brilliance of Formula 3. I cannot answer that question. I don't, I don't want to answer that question. I, I think, I hope, all I can hope is that it goes down right to the wire. And right now, you'd have to say, well, you've only got two more rounds until Monza. The leaders tied on points, and I think is it uh, Crawford and Behrman also tied on points as well for fourth and fifth. 
surely it's going to go down to the wire unless something major happens uh, in Spa. Uh, that's all you can hope for. I think a championship that goes right down to the end and isn't decided until they cross that checkered flag. Yeah, I mean, it's it's and even like I've got the standing in front of me. Roman Stanek also said that this year he has to. It's his make or break year. He's only eleven points back, and now Alexander Smolia, who's missed a whole round as well. So that's yeah. I mean, it's mad competitive um and you know half you know three of the top five are 17 years old it's 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 nuts so they've got so much room for growth as well yeah that's the crazy thing they're so young you forget that you really do i think because you you, i think that maybe there comes a bit of expectation sometimes when you're so used to to watching formula one perhaps and and you're you know obviously they're well, even in Formula One now, they're younger and younger, but they're very racing drivers are just so mature, you know, unbelievably mature. You have to be. And small mistakes creep in, and it is that immaturity. Then you've got to remember, oh, he's 16. To be fair, what were you remember what you were like when you were 16 years old? For me, I was probably a bit bratty teenager. I'm not driving around at a couple of hundred miles an hour trying to fight for my career in the single seater ladder. So just imagine that pressure on you as well. So, uh, but you're right, you know, all the way down to it, even maybe they're out of it. The car Colette seems to be, you know, he's got a, a boost of energy all of a sudden. Mm. Franco Colapinto is, is to me been a, a brilliant uh, standout so far with, especially with a new team as well. Van Amersfoort coming in uh, this year. I think it's brilliant. They've done a brilliant job in getting in. Zach O'Sullivan, Silverstone, spectacular, especially on home saw kush miney um again lots of drivers half the field showing incredible flashes of pace but the difficulties with formula three it's all in the qualifying really if, if you if you muck up your qualifying a tenth or even a few thousands or a few hundreds can put you down in p13 and then you miss out on the reverse grid and then you're 13th and coming in both races and then trying to come through the middle of the pack and it's so difficult to do that um and that can really ruin your race so it's tough out there it is tough but you know the the, the cream of the crop always rises doesn't it so uh it, you know you look at hajar and, and victor martins particularly hajar as a rookie and you go well red bull backs as as well you got to think they're going to be looking at him and going like, let's let's bring him through. Also, potentially a seat at high tech in F two next year. Exactly so. that. Exactly. So you know he'll be eyeing up an F two. I imagine he'll go straight through to F two. I can't imagine he'll stay another year in Formula Three. Um, but you know, strange things have happened. No, I mean I agree. I mean, who do you say has improved the most across the season, in, in your view? But also slightly controversial. Who do you think's in a little bit of trouble and perhaps? hasn't quite performed or hasn't quite impressed as much as they were expecting to, you know, a clear aside, obviously we know that the pressures are, that, that apply to him. Yeah. I think, I think you mentioned uh, Roman Stanek earlier, you know, he, he did a very honest interview right at the start of the year saying, you know, I need to make this happen this year. Otherwise that's kind of career over in a way. And I thought, you know, they've got to be so blunt and honest with themselves at, at some point. And it, it, it was a, Bahrain was tough to watch for him because he got two punctures uh, in the, in both the races while in leading positions. He has got a win on the board and a couple of podiums, but it's at the moment it's not going the way he wants it to go. Yes, he's still in the top six of the championship, but he's been slipping back each race, so it, he's going the wrong way. So I would say probably Stanek needs to have a strong end to this season to try and climb up the ladder but now he's got to deal with the Prema trio who have suddenly come alive and Hadjar and Martin's almost escaping a little bit I know we're talking about fine margins here but that's what Formula 3 is it's all about fine margins and oh there's so many people that um, 
have impressed me this year. It's so difficult because you look at someone like Reese Ushijima, who you, you might not, you might look at him and, and think, you know, on the stat sheet, not expect, you know, him to be lighting up the field, especially with, with a new team. But he's shown some brilliant pace uh, and just uh, Kushmini equally, you know, he had a, he's had made a few mistakes. I remember back in Bahrain, he missed the way bridge, had to start way back, but he overtook nearly half the field, which doesn't happen in Formula 3. So he has the raw space and Imola, he was on for a podium at least, uh, but he started outside of his grid box, so, you know, stupid mistakes, but that's what these drivers are learning in Formula 3 as well. It's not just about the race craft, it's about those, those procedures that that can go wrong and then you pay the price for it. Um, Johnny Edgar missing a few rounds, of course, struggling with, with Crohn's disease and, and coming back from that and, and, and scoring points and being up there as well. You know, it, it's not going to be an easy recovery either, but you know, look at, if you look at Silverstone in particular, he did a great job and showed real competitiveness there. Uh, it's so difficult to, to pick one. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't pick one because I'm so, I feel like I'm, you know, all these are stuck. These are young guys. They're all coming up through the rank. It's difficult to pick one. They weren't their good and bad days. But I think people who, who need to sort of get a hurry on, maybe a Roman Stanek. I'd say Kai Collette. He's put a lot of pressure on himself recently. You know, the win in Hungary uh, will have been a massive confidence boost for him uh, going forward. He needs to carry that momentum through. And maybe we would have expected more from the likes of Gregoire Saucy, you know, uh, being super competitive in, in Formula Regional um, last year. But, but again, he's been up there with pace, but it just hasn't worked out with him either through incident with his own teammates in, in Bahrain or, as I mentioned earlier, you know, being uh, spun round in um, Imola. So, you know, it, it's it's just, it's tricky in Formula 3. You know, I, I don't, sometimes I don't envy these guys who, who have tough days at the office because, you know, one small mistake can lose you a, a massive result and, and make your season an uphill battle. Now there was a there was a quiz show recently on TV. I'm sure everyone's well, most of you have seen the clip of it, where a woman was asked, "What's the series below F1?" and she said, "F0." But for our F1 fans who have never maybe watched Formula Two, Formula Three, um, Harry, can you just explain why it's so appealing? Because personally, I I, I, re- I enjoy the racing, especially in F3, more than in F1, and it has quirks that people might not you know have the time to invest to watch Formula Three. We've, we've got into a bit of the detail of the championship, but for our F1 fans, why should they, on a Sunday, watch F3? Well, what do you think it is that's, that's unique about this sport compared to uh, F2 and F1? Well, you should be watching it on Friday, Saturday and Sunday, first things first. But um, it, Good point. It, I mean, it's 30 drivers for a start. That is a massive grid, you know, bigger, obviously way bigger than Formula 1 and, and you know, the biggest of the support categories... Uh, single-seater-wise, young, hungry racers coming up through the field, some supported by Red uh, Red Bull F1 teams. We've got Red Bull, Williams, Sauber, Ferrari, uh, all represented uh, on this grid. Uh, You know, these are the next generation of drivers coming through. And, and, you know, George Russell's been there, Esteban Ocon, you know, Max Verstappen, although he did miss Formula 2. But, you know, all the the young guns, especially you go back to GP3, GP2, Lewis Hamilton, of course, everyone has gone through these uh, support categories. This is where you find the next best people that you're going to be watching in Formula 1 one day. I think equally the diversity on the grid is great. So many countries represented and the calendar is, is much better this year too. We go and support Formula 1 and Formula 2 all around the world. And going to Australia next year for the first time, that's going to be so much fun. And then you have the quirky format which is you have a, a, a one one practice session. That is all you get. 
on a Friday. So that is not enough time. You know, just 40 odd minutes or so to practice and get your car set up it is not a lot of time for these drivers because then after that, you're thrown immediately into qualifying, which is to begin with an out and out shootout fastest lap time is what you want. But when you've got 30 cars all vying around somewhere like Austria or Hungary, where they're they're short ish tracks, but they're narrow as well. You get Yuki Sonoda's traffic paradise and your lap can be ruined by a driver going slightly slower in front of you. And all of a sudden you were on for pole, but now you're starting 17th place for both races. And I say for both races because the top 12 from qualifying gets reversed for the first sprint race. So there's two races, there's a sprint race. So you qualify as you do normally on the Friday, the top 12 get reversed. So whoever's qualified 12th starts from the pole position for the sprint race, but everyone down from 12th starts from where they qualify. And then the Sunday, the longer feature race uh, is as you were is as you qualified on Friday. So whoever took pole position, the, the, the true pole position on the Friday qualifying will start from pole on the Sunday. So you've got that element where, you know, 12th place, 11th, 10th have a chance to suddenly get on the podium to show their stuff. Less points are available for that race because you've reversed it. So it's the Saturday race as well. So that's deemed to be, you know, it's not Grand Prix Sunday. So Grand Prix points aren't awarded. So it's got these little quirks that allow drivers to, to showcase their skills. If perhaps it hasn't quite worked out in qualifying for them. And it gives, it gives a chance. It gives more of an opportunity. And also if you're, if you're a top level driver having a bad day, you know, and you start 12, well, all is not quite lost yet. You've got two chances to try and redeem yourself and, and get something from your weekend. So if that hasn't sold it to you, I don't know what will, I think watch a race, but it, it's, it, it, you have to get up early for it. That's the one, that's the one downside, but they are well worth it. They'll get you up. They'll wake you up. And as you, as you say as well, Ollie, you know, there's always action. There's always overtakes. They're not afraid to go wheel to wheel either. Uh, and it's just, there's no pit stops during the race either, no mandatory pit stops. So each race is pretty much just an out and out fight to the line. It's pure racing. Like absolutely, and I mean, you've actually segued me nicely into into my next question, which was as a, a fan, as a spectator, sitting at home, or even about going to a press conference, whatever. You can kind of be like, oh, "What are they doing?" or "What has happened there?" And, but obviously, when you're on air, have there been any incidents this year where you've just thought? what on earth has just gone on there or have kind of made you laugh or just like you had to really compose yourself because you're just completely, uh, I think, you know what? Surviving what the I chaos, mean. I think is what Sam's trying to say. Exactly. <laughs> that was a really unarticulate way of getting there. Yeah. yeah. Well, the lucky thing is I can talk to other people without being heard in the commentary box. I've got the gallery in my ear um, who are following the race as well and you know, directing what's what you're seeing on camera. Um, so occasionally I sort of, I, I will direct them unofficially on the commentary by saying, you know, we should be looking at this battle for seventh. That's the closest thing on track. Or they will say to me, there's been a massive spin in turn three. We think it's Ushijima or something like that. So we're, we're able to sort of pass information back and forth without being heard on air. But yeah, in instances where, well, I, I think I said it earlier, that they, they, they Imola, uh, incident, which was just 
because it, it, it was it all happened at the end suddenly it was after the safety car restart really well actually it was even when changing from well, both races actually because one of them was wet and then went to dry so we had a mixed up grid of people starting on wet and dry tires the majority starting on um uh, i can't remember what tire now the wet tire i think um but it dried out super quickly so then you suddenly had people pitting which doesn't happen in formula three and you had to keep up with that. It was a new element. And then you had uh, in, in the other race, you know, uh, Zay Maloney spinning out a mistake uh, from himself on the safety car restart. And then you've got Oliver Behrman fighting with Gregoire Saucy, final corner, final uh, lap. Isaac Hadjar's involved as well, uh, spun round. And then suddenly it's Roman Stanek who crosses the line and that's the final lap. And and you're done. And you're like, oh, oh okay, that's it's done. All right, let's, We'll have to get a replay and digest what the hell just happened there. Because, uh, But that's the fun of it. That's kind of racing. And, and that happens all the time. Silverstone, final corner between Behrman and Zach O'Sullivan going literally wheel to wheel. Uh, and Behrman, you know, O'Sullivan having to, to sort of veer off the road. In, so Behrman didn't collect it, basically, because he just sent it down the final corner uh, to go through. In what was that a brilliant last lap, last corner scrap, and you don't see that too often. So it's really difficult to pinpoint just one because even if you look at Bahrain as well, you had the two ART cars uh, colliding, figuring out which one was which for a start because they're all black and white, and you can't really see the helmet because of the halo uh, and the number. You know, then you've got to look a bit harder for the number, so uh, just to figure out who it is. So I I suppose yeah, but the Imola uh, races really stand out as as some of the uh, the best so far this season in terms of just outright. I don't want to say farcical, but just you know, what's just happened? We need to digest that because everything has just happened all at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I think Formula Three, as you mentioned, it is always a fight to the line, and I think that's a unique thing about Formula Three. Like these drivers are racing for their careers and that. But obviously, you said that you didn't commentate on Hungary. But I'm interested in on your take of the Leclerc and Crawford incident, where Leclerc ended up taking Crawford out, and then he finished P20, and Leclerc also didn't finish in the points. Their teammates, Leclerc was the one penalised. I'm interested to see what your take is on that, especially because they are... Well, it's the last thing you want, isn't it? Uh, rule number one. But then... <sighs> In F3, it's almost a bit different because you are teammates, but you're also very individual as well. You know, you're, you are fighting for your career, as you say. And, and equally, you know, Jack Crawford is a uh, a, a Red Bull back driver. Uh, Leclerc is a, a Ferrari back driver. So you've got, you know, kind of direct rivalries being, being uh, uh, hosted there. I mean, I, I think it was the right call in the end uh, for, for the, the penalty, but... I felt a bit sorry for Jack because I, I really rate Crawford very highly. Uh, and I, th I think he's a little bit underrated, actually. Even You know, he's fourth in the championship. He's so young. He's one of the youngest. Um, and I, I first came across him and I met him when I was doing, uh, I was commentating for Euro Formula Open, which is sort of a bit like Spanish Formula 3. Um, and he was doing a few rounds in that while also dovetailing Formula 3 last year. And he's so mature. He's got the right passport he's an american he's a youngster he's backed by rebel he's fast he's in the right team it's not what he needed uh but i i i think leclerc 
has had a few run-ins this year uh, and it hasn't gone his way, I think, this season. I think a lot of people thought he might dominate uh, and, and take the lead by quite some while. That hasn't happened. So I get the feeling it, 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 there, may, there may be a bit of frustration on both sides of the camps for different reasons. Leclerc perhaps not performing at the level he would have wanted and expected and Crawford perhaps performing at a, a, an improved level but being taken out out of things out of his control but that's that's the name of the game isn't it that's formula three uh, and racing in general but you know i'm sure there'll be there'll be stern words in in the prima garage it's not the first time that's happened this season i oh i wonder if it'll be the last but you know when you've got 30 cars three cars per team you're fighting for every single position there aren't really team orders if we look back was it russia last year uh and jack Dewan in formula two being asked to uh, move out the way of, I think it was it Novelak, and uh, because that would have helped the championship for them to secure the team's championship. And Jack was like, "Well, sorry, no, I'm racing for my championship. You know, I, I'm me. This is this is my career here." And I think that outlines it quite clearly. You know, when you're in these in your support categories, you know, it's a fight to get to the top, and then you're then you're the team player. Well. Supposedly. So on that note, then, have you seen any any drivers' personalities change over the course of the year, uh, becoming more selfish, or perhaps maybe wanting to maybe help their team out a little bit more? I don't know. I, I'm I'm not sure I've seen anything massively. I think those who maybe uh, the two the the two MP guys in particular, Kaya Collette and and uh, Miney, I think are, are, are work together really well as sort of friends off track uh, and both, you know, showing good pace and wanting to move that team forward together. Uh, they seem like they work as quite a good pairing. Um, obviously, Alex in that team as well, but having missed a couple of rounds, but but Kaya and Kush sort of um, spending time together away from the track uh, as mates who I've, I've seen off track. But yeah, it's difficult to, to pinpoint, uh, really. The, the other difficult thing is I'm not there, so I don't meet really the drivers. So I'm not I'm not at the track. So that's the other, that's the other difficult thing is you, you don't really, uh, you can't see that much of, you know, an actual change in, in, in persona or how they, what their body language is after a race or when talking to other drivers. So all those little nuances you, you can't quite pick up on, which is, which is a shame at the moment. That's just the way it is. So, um, you're, I'm a bit limited in that capacity, but I, I can't really see I've seen anything change massively. I think maybe Hajar has gotten a bit punchier as the season has gone on. I think he's, been willing to take a few less prisoners. He's sort of been the the coy young rookie coming through, and now he's like, okay, I'm here to play. You know, let's go. Um, you know, he had a little bit of a run in with not teammate, but Red Bull affiliate teammate uh, Crawford again in Silverstone. Um, so you know, he's he's not uh, a completely innocent party this season either. So you know, I think as you get more competitive, your elbows get out, and we might see uh, more and more elbows out in these last couple of races. Okay, so we, we've spoken a bit about F3. Um, you are also an F1 commentator. You did the Hungarian Grand Prix with BBC Radio 5 Live with our, I believe, with our friend of the show, Jenny Gal. Um, how was that covering F1? How does, how does the dynamics different as a comment, differ as a commentator? Um, and what did you think of that race? It was a brilliant race. And what do you make of the F1 season so far? Yeah, so uh, I did Hungary. I've also done, uh, I did Silverstone and Australia with uh, with the BBC. So I've done three F1 races for them, which was an amazing experience for me, working, as you say, with, with Jenny Gao and uh, Mark Priestley, Jolien Palmer, so Andrew Benson, so an, an amazing uh, uh, 
uh, crew to to work with both on air and, and off air as well in, in the producer side of things. Um, it is a different dynamic. It's almost a little bit easier because it's you don't have to go looking as hard for for information. Uh, obviously, I've been watching Formula One for so many years; it's ingrained into my brain. I just know. I don't have to work too hard to figure out what I'm going to talk about. Um, and, but then again, you get, there's a lot more pressure on you. So it, less eyes are on formula three than they are listening or watching to the formula one. That's just how it goes. So you have a lot more pressure. And then when you get a race like hungry, where strategy is the the name of the game, and especially when you're doing it for radio, like I was, that completely changes how you call a race. Because when I do F3, it's on the telly, uh, it's on Sky, you know, you take for granted really that you guys watching can all see what I'm seeing. You know, Mm. I don't really have that much more than you. I might have a timing screen, but you guys could get a timing screen up as well. So, you know, I get the same screen. Whereas in F1 for the BBC, I do get all the screens and all the information and there's more information available to you, but you've got to convey that in an easily understandable way and paint the picture that you're seeing in the minds of your audience who are listening. So when you've got to try and call the action and then also call the strategy and, and we weren't quite sure what was going on because we were so bemused by what Ferrari were doing and going to the hard tire. We were like, hang on, have they actually done that? We don't want to say it. And you know, have they, yeah, yeah, have they yeah. actually done that? Why have they done that? Have we missed something? Are we in the wrong or, or are they? <laughs> and obviously because I'm so new doing it, I, you know, I'd have those bits of self doubt and I, I go, Oh God. Okay. Right. Thank God I had Mark Priestley next to me. Uh, who's a former chief mechanic for McLaren. Cause so he knew it like the back of his hand. So he took, the heavy work on that one um but yeah it's it's a massively different uh scenario obviously the out and out basics of calling a race are fairly similar overtakes the start of a race and all that but f1 there's so much more to it because you've got that strategy um and you've got to be able to to stay on top of it because the last thing you want to do is make a mistake because everybody will call you out on it because everyone's a commentator at home um but it's 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 so much i know i never I never set out to really be a commentator. I wanted to work in motorsport as a, as a broadcaster, but commentary never came to my mind because I always thought, how the hell do they do it? Like, how can they talk and just describe what's going on and do a first lap of a race and say these amazing phrases and things that stick with you all at the same time? I just thought, oh, I can never do that. It's too hard. But then you're just thrown into it and you sort of fly on the edge of your seat, really. And that's what Hungary was about. And I had, I've had some great races with Five Lives. Silverstone was, I mean, it, not, it was a great, it was a great race, but having to then suddenly, uh, after Joe Guanyu's crash in the in turn one, you know, that was a 53-minute red flag or something like that. So you suddenly, you don't go off air, you've got to talk that whole time. Uh, and indeed, Australia as well was was a, was a decent race for Australia back back uh, with Verstappen going out as well early doors in that race. So I've had some great races, and and it's uh, been a great dynamic to get to grips with. And I actually think it's made me a better commentator being able to do it for the radio because I now take some bits that I would do for radio into my TV broadcast. Because even though you guys can see it, I think it's still nice for a commentator to paint a picture a bit more you know the black and white art goes around the yellow tips trident of zane maloney you know just provide something a little bit extra even though you can see it's black and white and you can see uh, zane maloney's got a yellow rear wing obviously for radio that's great but i think for tv as well it just gives it a little bit a little bit something else but yeah mega time 
So, I mean, that's that's a really interesting answer, and people won't uh, appreciate the difference between TV and radio. They just they're a consumer, right? But Harry, as an F one fan, you've said that you've watched it your whole life; it's ingrained in you. You know, we do see the Crofties, the Martin Brundles, just scream when there's drama, right? They go, oh my god! As an F one fan, how do you prevent yourself from doing that on the radio? When I yeah, when I'm um, it's it's easier when you're when you're lead commentator. I have been a co commentator a couple of times, and that almost feels like you're just a bit of a. Well, I felt like I've just sort of just been sitting there, and because you're not you're not you know I didn't feel like I was I wasn't leading it, I wasn't in charge. So you could have that fan and go, oh my god, oh look at that, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I am still doing that as a lead. Mm. I'm just somehow able to go. And he's done, you know, and yeah. still talk and, yeah. and make ridiculous gestures. And, you know, I, after every race, I'm exhausted. I'm shattered, which I always think is a good thing because you're working hard. But I think it's, 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 um, I think it's a little bit of skill. Like, I think it's broadcasting technique, really, because you can't, you can't go, oh my God, look what's happened. Uh, you know, especially like if you look at, um, I remember listening to to Jack Nichols, who was the common. The, he was doing Formula Three, uh, Formula E, which is why I was doing a couple of Five Lives. But I remember listening to him doing Baku uh, when Ferrari, uh, both their engines went kaput. But of course, with Five Live, the other thing is that you, if you're on uh, the main station, you have to cut away every so often and find out what's going on at the cricket or what's going on at the rugby or what's going on at the football. And they had cut away to find out what was going on at the cricket or something. So you don't know in that 40 seconds what's going on. And if you're on the TV, of course, you know everything and you're going absolutely mad because Ferrari's Leclerc has just blown his engine and has pulled off the side of the road. And suddenly it cuts back to Jack and he just, in in, in a calm but clearly like agitated he just go and Leclerc's engine has blown up <laughs> and I just I texted, him, I texted him and I just thought that's that was bloody brilliant <laughs> I can imagine being in his shoes and like wanting the bloody cricket report to finish so you can get to the fact that this major thing has just happened um but you can't just go you've got to be careful not to sort of blubber over your words you've got to be calm cool collected and and relay the facts but also as a commentator I feel like you've got to bring a little bit of an, you know, you've got to make it entertaining. I feel like you can't flog man, right? You have to, you have to, yeah. yeah. You, you can't flog a dead horse if it's really boring, but you can, you can help it along the way. You know, I, I have an entertainment background. That's where I sort of came from. So I, I feel like, you know, racing is entertainment and we've got to be able to provide that entertainment and amp it up if it needs be, but not to a ridiculous farcical sense. But that I just thought was brilliant. And it kind of describes perfectly how you've got to, as a lead, you've got to just, keep calm. I come back to that Formula 3 incident in Imola all happening in the last lap. You know, I could have, I could, that was an incident where I could have very easily just completely screamed and gone, I don't know what the <laughs> hell just happened, but there's about three cars spinning the wrong way. And it's one, but you've got to suddenly remember, right, no, I've got to, I've got to literally say exactly what's going on and call it as I see it. And that's, I, I think that's just broadcaster technique. Um, and, and when you're in the hot seat, you know, you, 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 you're not in your couch, you're not in your living room, you're not as relaxed, I suppose, as, as you would, would be when you're screaming your head off. But, you know, I've got people in my ear, I've got buttons to press, I've got things to think about, I'm getting a countdown in my ear. Um, you know, I've got to think about, right, how's that going to play for the highlights afterwards? So, you know, I'm thinking about lots of other stuff as well as what's happening. So I think that all sort of influences 
why you don't just scream your head off when something's happened. Of course, I think, you know, there are, you have heard commentators scream before, you know, and, and go, Mark Webber, famously, but he's the co. Alex James didn't, but Mark Webber did. So that's, that's sort of the difference. I was going to mention the Mark Webber thing because I was just, I was like, I remember Mark Webber screaming, like, yeah. but I feel like I might have mentioned it when, when, when we met at Silverstone and you've just mentioned it again. But how do you, commentate when you've got someone else talking in your ear like i would end up saying exactly what they've just relayed to me now, sometimes i do uh, <laughs> <laughs> um especially during porsche supercar practice or something like that uh if you you know if it almost feels like you're sort of talking to the director at sometimes but um but uh in uh, you, you, it's it's a it's a again it is a skill i think and and it takes time like the first time i had it i was so knocked out by it and it was a lot to to talk and try and tune the voice out but you need to hear the voice at the same time and actually it becomes a bit of a i like having it now because it it just it's like another pair of eyes because somebody else is filling you in on things even if they're not talking directly to you because sometimes they'll be talking to somebody else but you can hear their conversation um it just it's just uh it's a bit more informal like especially in porsche or f3 in practice be like oh we've got a spinner on turn four or whatever and even though we're not seeing that yet i'll just i'll know that i i would have seen oh there's a yellow flag out not sure why and i'll be able to hear what they said oh we think we think it might be a spinner it just provides a little bit of extra you know safety uh, i think but it can be difficult and sometimes i do have to turn them down if it's like a really high octane moment but then naturally when it is a high octane moment i do just tune them out because i'm so engrossed in all i can hear is my voice and whoever's next to me and i'm just thinking about what's happening in front of me so uh yeah it's a tricky one and i don't think everybody can do it but uh it's it's a it's a major part you know of of broadcasting not just in commentary but all the presenters on the track will have earpieces as well being told what to do what's coming next um how long they've got to fill for you know normally at the end of a broadcast you'll just get you know podium done okay 20 seconds to wrap and you've got to be able to wrap in 20 seconds while also hearing a voice that's counting 10 9 Eight, so you'll be talking. Thank you so much. Seven, six, five, and it's hard not to then suddenly join in with the counting, but you've got to just remember that no, no, one, yeah. oh, bye bye. Um, <laughs> so you know it, it's difficult. It's not easy. But I think it's, we it's should hard. try and get Harry to answer the next question whilst I'm counting. And just, it's just <laughs> I'm not going to do that, but that would be brilliant. That could work. Yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely, definitely could do what you do, Harry. Definitely couldn't. Um, so obviously you do Formula 3. You've done three F1 races as well this year. Is there a particular race that you would love to commentate on in any series, but one particular venue that you would just love to talk about? Oh, a venue? Um, I, I don't know. I've not really thought about that. I've always actually wanted to go to like the uh, the flyaways, the, the you know, Singapore or... Um, or actually, no, scratch that. Not. I'd love to go to somewhere like Indy or Daytona. Actually, yeah, that's. I was about to say like something from the F1 calendar. Like I've always loved Brazil and, and Sao Paulo and that track. There's so much history. Uh, but actually, I think have, I watched the Daytona 24 Hours and uh, and I watched the Indy 500 and and just I, they, they just hit differently. Uh, and I'd love to I'd love to be in that atmosphere uh for for a race i think it would be it would be off the charts so somewhere like that i think 
So, other than F1, F2, F3, are you then an IndyCar fan? And what, what other sort of racing do you enjoy watching? Because that, does does this become work for you, or are you still a fan? Um, I am still a fan. It does become work, it does. But I am, I am a fan. I enjoy talking about Formula One. You know, sometimes I do think, all right, it's just part of that. Like the summer break at the moment, it's nice just to not think about it and not have to keep up with it because there isn't that much news at the moment. Well, after everything basically broke at once, but now it's nice that there isn't, you know, a bit of news for a bit. Um, so you can just take your, your brain off of it. Cause it's, it is sometimes hard work to keep up with everything because these days, you know, social media press releases, there's just so much information. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of IndyCar. I, I, I only started watching it the last couple of years, but I always, if I can, I'll always watch the race uh, on TV. I really enjoy it. I'd love to go and do IndyCar at some point. I'd love to get out there. Uh, I love I love American series like IMSA as well. I love sports car racing, World Endurance Championship. I'd love to do Le Mans or something like that one day. Um, I used to be a really big fan of DTM because controversially, I'm a big fan of Paul DeResta as, as he was the driver I always supported, which I know a lot of people look at me, but I stand by it. And so when he left F1, I went and watched him in DTM and I uh, I really enjoyed DTM racing was great back when they had class one cars now they use GT3 cars um so it's not as not as it's not a German touring car series anymore but it's still decent but um yeah DTM Formula E that I've worked in Formula E before I started in Formula E as the runner uh as the T-boy so right from day dot in that so uh, I've got a soft spot for Formula E uh, and MotoGP, I've, I've gotten into that in the last couple of years. I do a weekly podcast for Crash.net, doing a MotoGP show. I just went to Silverstone for the British Grand Prix, hosted the main stage there. And I love bike racing. I never thought I'd say that. And I'm annoyed I didn't get into it sooner. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you're either a car or a bike guy. But I think I am more of a car guy, but I love MotoGP. And I will, if, there, if there's nothing else on and there's some bike action, I mean, they are they're on another level. They, they've got so much, uh, there's so much risk in that. And MotoGP was, is really good racing as well. Um, so it's not on the same level as Formula One in terms of reach, especially in the, in the UK. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm just a general motorsport fan. I always said, you know, I'd be just as happy working in DTM or whatever it is that, you know, Formula One is, is obviously a dream, but um, I just love going to racetracks or chatting about racing. You know, who, who in my mind, who doesn't? There's a lot of people who don't, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool job um, and, and one that I'm very proud of and, and I love doing. Well, Taylor, out, out of all the races you've done across all the different series, what's the one race you remember the most? What's the one that you often think with your night, you have it, you think about that and just go, that was a really cool race to do. I bet it's Imola just gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was thinking, I was like, I can't say Imola again. No, you know, it, will, um, it will be, it's a toss up, but it's a toss up between Australia because that was my first ever Formula One race. So that will stick with me forever. Uh, making your F1 debut is always something I think you won't forget. Um, but equally, I wasn't in Australia. So the British Grand Prix this year will stand out because I was in the paddock. I was trackside. I was walking up and down the paddock, doing interviews, doing show, uh, preview podcast shows, be, working alongside Jolian Palmer, who is a form, former Formula One driver. You just sat there having a Diet Coke with him. Like, okay, cool. Um, I've definitely slagged you off on the telly when you were racing, but let's not talk about that now. Um, <laughs> At least you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the good thing about Palmer is he he he, ta- he takes it well, but he also gives it a lot back too. So, and I was a bit nervous to be alongside him because obviously he's 
he's a he's a great authority. Who better than one of the most recent F1 drivers to have as a co-commentator? Um, so you know, I was there. Oh, he's going to call me out if I say something stupid, isn't he? Uh, but we we got on all right, so that was good. And I see him at, at F1 headquarters as well because he does F1 TV. Um, but I think being at the British Grand Prix, obviously home race as well, and just seeing. I was the runner for BBC Five Live in 2016 at the British Grand Prix, making the tees, just standing awkwardly at the back of the commentary box, like a bit of a spare part, really. And then to be suddenly in 2022, the lead commentator was was a pretty round moment. Pretty proud of. I've got the I've got both F1 passes, and you can see my face how how much that's changed. I can grow a beard now, um, but yeah, that that's something that will stick, I think, with me for for a very very long time. I, I once met Trillian Palmer, actually. I, I Again, aw- somewhat awkward. He was on a tube and it was towards the end of the season when he lost his drive. So I was like, oh my God, it's Trillian Palmer. And I, I wanted to say hi, and I did say hi to him, but I felt really awkward because it was a race weekend and I was like, is he going to be like, leave me alone? Like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, like, you know. You're a very um, thoughtful person, aren't you, Sam? I, I overthought. <laughs> I wouldn't like, have I, thought that. I would have thought, oh my God, it's Trillian Palmer. <laughs> I still worry about it now, and it's like six years later. And honestly, that's for another day. That's for another type of podcast. Um, but I've got to ask about Paul DeResta because I'm actually really pleased because I've also had a soft spot. I have a soft spot for Paul DeResta, and I know it's an unpopular opinion. <laughs> what was it about him when he was driving that kind of drew you to him? Well, he was the the, the British underdog. Yeah, we, we had Hamilton and Button in top teams and Deresta was the other Brit, the young plucky Brit who came in. Uh, and and I thought, I, I and I was like, well, I want to support an underdog always. Um, and he was British and he was pretty decent actually in his first year and his second year and his third year. Uh, yeah, he, he was, you know, he, he had a, uh, three years is, is not actually a very long time when you look at most drivers' careers now. But um uh, I just thought he was a really good driver and deserved. I th- I really thought he'd get the Mercedes seat or McLaren when Hamilton left, but I think politics didn't play uh, into his hands very well. I also think perhaps I've I've interviewed him since uh, on my own podcast, and um, he openly admitted like he was too self-involved and too too pent up about everything. You know, very untrustworthy of people, and just probably took it a bit too seriously. Um, and now he's got kids and he has a completely different mindset of it. He's a bit more relaxed and a bit more calm now. And I think people hold on to, you know, what his personality was like in, in Formula One. And, um, and when he was paired with Hulkenberg, I thought that was the best bloody lineup on the grid. Uh, Force India had a great lineup then. Um, and he beat Sutil and, and the only reason he didn't beat Hulkenberg was because he had a car issue that he didn't find until Brazil. So that's how you know I'm a fan. Um, and then obviously the DTM champ supported by Mercedes. And then yeah. when he came back um, to Williams for that one-off race last minute yes. in Hungary, like what a sterling effort that was. Like you wouldn't get many people who would be that calm and collected and be that close to your teammate on your return. What was that? 2018? And then his last race was what? 2013? Like, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. It, and he couldn't fit in the car, could he? If I remember correctly, they had to change. But, the, change yeah. Everything. Yeah. And he didn't get any practice. He went straight into qualifying. It was it was also a, a new generation of car by then. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, I mean, yeah. Um, so that's uh, the fascination uh, with with PDR forever, always and forever. Uh, I mean, I I also yeah felt that his career in F one was shorter than it should have been. Um, okay, fan of underdogs. Who are you who are the underdogs that you can kind of root for at the moment? If you can well, say, obviously, com- currently commentating. 
Yeah, well, the thing is, I've, I since I've started working in the sport, I know it's a it's a bit of a cop out answer, but I don't really have. Uh, I'm not a fan of anybody. Um, you know, I, my fandom stopped with Paul DeResta. Um, but uh, and I was always a Bruno Senna fan. Actually, um, I thought he was unju- undone by uh, by uh, Williams. But um, I love an I love an underdog. A- anytime Kevin Magnussen does well, you know, I'm always happy about that. Yeah. I always like seeing him up front. Um, equally, I, I I still see Carlos Sainz as a bit of an underdog. Really, I I, I always enjoy when when he when he does well. It's always the people you least expect. Yuki Sonoda, how can you not like him? Joe Guanyu, you know, proving all the doubters wrong and having a well, not a mega season on on when you look at it on paper, but actually he's had a really good season. Um, and Alfa Romeo's reliability has just been bloody awful. But um, but yeah, people like that, I'm, you know, who doesn't love a, a plucky underdog fighting it with the big dogs? That's what sport is kind of based off of, isn't it? Um, so so yeah, I would say, you know, Magnussen, Ayuki, Sonoda kind of type uh, would, be, would be the ones I'd always smile if they were having good runs. Love that. Great. That's a, that's, that's a great answer. I mean, Imola must have been a great weekend for you altogether with 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 K Mag's qualifying as well. Oh my god. I was <laughs> losing my head. But uh luckily I wasn't doing the F1 for that one, so I was fine. <laughs> we actually um we had Jan Magnussen on Oh, Three yeah. minutes after qualifying, right? After it finished, because qualifying was extended in, in F1. And we had the interview with Jan Magnussen. Um and you should have seen him. He was jumping around the place. It oh, was yeah, yeah, it was absolutely wicked. I mean, what a comeback story as well. To to lose your drive once uh, in Formula One and come back is 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 like a hard enough feat. But then to come back again, you know, that's that's pretty mega. So uh, so I'm glad K Mag he deserves that seat. I think he's a very good driver, and, and it's what Haas need actually is he's sort of the old experienced one now, really. But um, but yeah, I always thought he was a bit he was undone by McLaren. So uh, you know. Uh, I, I don't think he deserves his McLaren treatment, but uh, glad to see he's still got a got a career going. Well, you've spoken about supporting F1 underdogs, and earlier you mentioned lots of different F3 drivers that you quite like. Is there a particular Formula 2 driver that you take a fancy to, or is it kind of everyone again? No, no, it's not. Well, <laughs> not everyone. Um, I mean, I, I, I've always uh, wanted Jehan Deruvela to do well. Um, I, it, it always frustrates me when he's have, having a bad weekend or it's not quite working out for him. Um, because I think he'd be, he, you know, he, he's he ticks all the a lot of the right boxes and and, and does well. Um, but I, I, I suppose I'm not. I'm obviously I watch Formula Two. I'm not. I'm not as uh, uh, affiliated with it uh, this year, so uh, it's difficult to keep up with all the the comings and goings of F2 as well as everything else I'm doing. Um, but yeah, I'd probably go. Uh, I mean, I'll, I do love Ralph Boschong. I mean, I wouldn't really call it. He is an underdog, but. He's he's old, so in, in motorsport terms. Um, so I don't I don't think he'll ever get the F one shot, but and I hope he recovers from his injury and, and gets back in that car because he's yeah I was having a pretty good season up until that point. Um, so uh, so yeah, it's just it's just drivers who who aren't always up there. You know, it, it's it's probably a, it's great to see you know massive respect for the likes of obviously Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen who are up there constantly throughout their careers and have the skill and the talent to be there. But who doesn't love it when, you know, an underdog comes in at the top and upsets the apple cart? So we are just about out of time. But, um, Harry, there's a question that I ask every guest on the show. Um, and 
you're going to be no different to that. So we have built a motorsport time machine. It's incredible. People are just amazed by it. Um, and we're going to invite you into it. In this time machine, you could go anywhere in racing, history, past, present, future, any series, any country, and you're going to get into it. Where are you going and why? So any motorsport series. You can drive a car, you can watch a race, you can commentate on it. Um, any series, any year, past, present or future. Oh, God. It's a really hard question. Yes. Some people answer it really quick, but some others uh, struggle with it um, because it's, it's such a unique question. I mean, it would probably have to be Formula One. I would go back in time to. Um, and it would probably be... This is a terrible answer because I bet people say, oh, I'd love to go back to when race against Nigel Mansell or Jack Villeneuve or whatever. I'd go back to 2012. I know that's not that long ago, but what a what a season that was. I'd want to be in that season and have a yeah. chance fighting for a win. I, I think that was... And that was... I think I've got a soft spot for that because that was one of my, like... I didn't start watching Formula 1. I'm a bit of a late bloomer, so I didn't start watching Formula 1 until 2010, 11, really. So, which people are always horrified by um, but 2000, so 2012 was like one of the best seasons by far that we've had in the last decade. Uh, last year, you know, gave it a good run for its money, but I would still, 2012, I pulled the rest up. So, um, <laughs> back to Paul de Resta again. <laughs> would you be driving with Paul de Resta in this time machine? No, I don't think I could drive. I mean, I'm a decent driver, but I, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm too scared to go those speeds. So I'd, I'd probably just try and be a commentator or, or whatever, whatever was going. I'll make the tees in the garage. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been very interesting to hear about your thoughts on F3, F2 and F1. I think we've, we've covered everything. Well, even IndyCar. Um, so yeah, g- good job there. Um, thank you very much. And um, let's keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on guys. It's been a real pleasure. Awesome. Sam, thank you very much. Thank you as always. Abby. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. And James. Thanks very much, it's been great to meet you, Harry. We will see you next week. Until then, goodbye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Sports Social Podcast Network.